Welcome everybody to the AJ Osborne Show, where we focus on our core tenets, impact, freedom, and progress. Join me and others as we grow through education and discussion. Welcome everybody back to the podcast. And today I have my dad in here with me. His last podcast uh, is in the show notes, so you can go back and listen to uh, that podcast. And I'm really excited to talk about a whole bunch of things. But first and foremost, your new book is out, which is awesome. It's on Amazon. And tell them about the book. The book that is recently released that I wrote is entitled The Right Kind of Rich. And um, it's uh, kind of a story from the poverty level I grew up in and that whole situation and how to escape uh, poverty and to for people to realize that um, the mindset of poverty can be eliminated by anybody and how we've uh, been able to eliminate that and go from where uh, we are today from where I was into uh, you know multi-million dollar uh, business few people can break uh, the poverty cycle and I think a lot of people that have never been in poverty don't realize this um, I mean from you and your family you were the only one no one else broke out of it right um, and in fact all of them have since passed except for one um, who my uncle is uh, homeless and a drug addict and uh, you know when I uh, I remember being in Brazil right on my mission living down there and the people that are in poverty in that way which is the closest thing that I can think of to your circumstance because people in America don't have we we don't we don't have poverty like you were in today right that literally that just doesn't exist um, it, it's I mean people that it, poverty today means you have all your mills you can have subsidized rent um, uh, you have an iPhone and uh, you literally lot and lots of people do they can essentially air quotations live off the government due to subsidies things like that right when you were growing up that didn't exist correct yeah it it's a different world uh, from you know when i grew up in the 60s and 70s um like you say we had to um we we had to poach deer uh, when it wasn't deer season to just for food and we grew a garden we had some few chickens and a pig that we'd slaughter for food but we didn't have the programs didn't exist or wasn't available for like food stamps um, and like you say subsidized housing or rent we didn't have those kind of things so we had to figure out a way to just survive we didn't have indoor plumbing um, you know we had an outhouse and uh, so uh, we didn't have heat indoor heat we had a wood stove for a long time we didn't have a, even a telephone until I was 14 years old and that's because an uncle paid for us to be able to get one in. So my older brother and sisters grew up their whole life without even a telephone. And so um, it was one of those things that... When was the first time you had a hamburger? 
Um, I was around, I believe, 12 years old. The first time I got to go with my mom and somebody to like a drive-in, if you will, and have a hamburger. And man, when we had that hamburger, I thought it was like done, died, went to heaven. It was like, wow, I'd never had anything like that at a, you know, a drive-in. And so uh, that was incredible. I still have that ingrained in my brain, the taste and the feelings like, wow, I've never had anything this good. And, uh, and then too, at home, we'd get milk occasionally and uh, I'd have the, the cream at the top. My Whoever got home first from school or whatever, my brothers and I, boy, we'd we'd go, you know, fight to get the first drink of the milk and things like that because we didn't have that very often. And so uh, it was a, a different world that I grew up in then as opposed to what exists today with all the government programs, the subsidies, the, the financial protection to help things. There's still people in poverty, but not yes. at that level. Not at that level. Um, and two, I think, you know, you you didn't have your father passed early on so there you know wasn't really anything out there for single moms with kids there wasn't subsidized daycare there wasn't they didn't you know that it just didn't exist so it was literally just we have to make it and you know you guys got to raise yourself i got to go make money to put on the food on the table and um, I know that there's obviously people today that are in bad situations. That's not what we're saying right? at, at all. I want to make sure that's very, very clear. Um, and large portion of today's population that are homeless, things like that, is very much driven from mental illness, drug abuse, right, et cetera, just like your brother. Right. It's uh, uh, not that he doesn't have opportunities or food stamps or subsidized homes and things like that. It's a abuse. It's a substance abuse problem that he has. Um, and for the vast majority, though, of people, there are so many ways that you can be not be you can you have so many tools to get out of circumstances or not even get out of circumstances, but lift up. And the reason why I think this is this is important because when we talk about like poverty cycles, the whole idea for subsidies is to allow people to break the cycle, right? right. It's not to allow to stay in, it's right. not to live. But when you grew up, because that didn't exist, the idea that there's less social mobility today like than when you lived is is laughable. Like when 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 you grew up in rural Idaho, uh, in the high deserts, right? You didn't have a dad, you had a mom, you lived in poverty, poached for food, you worked, you know, uh, uh, cutting down trees and getting lumber to sell, right? All that kind of stuff. Their social mobility, um, I, I mean, it was just non existent. I mean, not even the place where you lived. It didn't even, like, I mean, even me growing up in Idaho, wealth was an abstract thing. It didn't, this wasn't California. This wasn't, there wasn't, there wasn't really, when you looked at that social mobility part, right? That just, it didn't really exist. It didn't exist right. for you and it, did, it didn't exist here. And I think 
that's what's important for people to realize and why it's so powerful. Because how I view it is like if you could do it in that time, anybody can do it today. Right. And not I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying that it's fun or I'm not saying that any of those kind of things. But it is possible. Yeah, it really is. It's um it's challenging because the mindset that uh, in, in poverty, as I look back, I you don't recognize or realize all the time or most of the time how you what you got to do to escape. Mm-hmm. You and that's how I look at it. I escape that world, yeah. especially in a small rural town, small area. You're right. There's limited opportunities and limited chances. When my father passed away at ten, when I was ten years old, and then. Um, my mother again had to work. She worked at the school cafeteria at first, and then uh, started working at the hospital. So we were home a lot. My younger brother dropped out of school at 14, got involved with drugs, all that stuff. My older brother, uh, same thing, got involved with drugs. He made it through high school. But I was the first in my family to go to college, and that was, uh, you know, a whole different mindset. Uh, my parents did had you never have subsidies for that. Did you get like Pell grants or? Uh, I did not. Um, in terms of, I qualified for full tuition scholarship. So you got and a then scholarship. I, then I did get um, like a Pell grant or whatever yeah. it's called for to help me with my housing costs. Yes. And between those two was the only way I was able to go. Yeah. And um, because the you couldn't take out debt at that time. If if, if it was, I didn't know about yeah. it. it. Didn't exist. Yeah. And thank heavens I had folks in high school counselors and stuff that helped me i didn't even know how to apply for a scholarship yeah. i didn't even know how to apply for college well and that and that's yeah. the poverty cycle you yes, don't know is. what you don't know yeah and like i and you know that's how why i bring it back to me thinking about you was when i was in brazil and living in the favelas and it was like they, they you don't know what you don't know right. The, right. it's it's not like a oh just you know pull your boots up right like no like they there's no way even if there is a way like in brazil obviously there isn't even a way for those people to get out um it's that's the norm the not the norm is that you're not living in poverty um but it doesn't even matter they don't even know what they don't know so you know to think of like oh well just you know it's easy i think for people to look at people in that situation and say, well, why don't you just do this, 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 and this? Because you can see the path, right. but for them, they can't. So you had to find that path on your own. Yeah, I did. And uh, fortunately, I had good mentors and folks that helped me. Um, I had different jobs in high school. I worked at a shoe store. I had a great mentor there that helped me too and taught me. You know, you didn't make a lot of money. I remember my first job around 15, 16 years old. I think I was making $1.75 an hour at a grocery store. And um, and I think around then that was around minimum wage. And so you, you made enough to be able to, you know, have a little spending money or pay for gas for your car and things like that. But you don't make enough or have opportunities to be able to escape that poverty cycle there. So it was through mentors, helpers that got me and helped me get to college and out and me with the mindset I got to get out of here I got to get out of this world to find a new life and that's what helped me escape that environment and having the attitude of I want a different life than yes. this life 
Well, and I think it's important that you cultivated the situation that got you out. You went out to find those people. You actively looked for people that were doing things differently. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the same today as it is anytime for anybody. Like you had, you knew you had to change your circumstances. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody should know that. That should be something, I don't like this circumstance, I need to change it. And that's something people can do. They can actively work to change their circumstance whether that is going to college or whether that's hanging out just with better friends, right? And you did that starting out. You wanted to hang out and be around people that lived differently and made better choices, right? Um, and then that puts you on the road for your mentors and the people that influenced your life. Um, and I think that's, that's the most important important thing like you said but it's also the thing that's transferable that's transferable to anybody right exactly and and that's the type of decisions i made that helped me get out of that environment the friends i had had early on once they started to, to get in the route of trying drugs and stuff i didn't want anything to do with that because it had been such a problem in my family drugs and alcohol and uh, I was doing whatever I could to avoid that world. So I went and found new friends, different friends, that had a different mindset and want, didn't want to go down that route. And that was a huge help to me to, to select good friends, find mentors, and try and find a different path. Well, Andy, you know, I think it's that attitude and stuff that even helped like me growing up when being dyslexic and being ADD and ADHD, it was like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. Cause I'm like, I don't like the school stuff, things like that. And then, you know, realizing, okay, well you sold insurance and that got you to where you were. I thought, oh, I could do that too. That was my way of escaping my situation, which everybody has. Yeah. Everybody has something that they feel like is holding them back, is taking them down, whether it's in the poverty cycle, whether it's not, everybody has something. Right. right. There's always something that is holding us back to go to the next level. And that's yeah. mindset. That could be anything else like that. And so I think that, you know, it's that's why I, I love the story. I love your book and that because it's something that people can carry with them and they can apply yeah. in any circumstance. Yeah. Right. To help them move on. And uh, that's powerful. Yeah. It really is, and you're right. Everybody has different challenges and different difficulties, whether it's learning issues, learning disabilities, physical disabilities, um, poverty cycle, and and my situation has been history, like all that. Right? Yes, I mean people grow exactly. up and uh, yes, they're abused, they're yeah. things like that, which is horrific, horrible things. Yeah. So you have to find a way to escape that environment and go down a different path rather than let that. And draw you in so that you're trapped in that environment the rest of your life yeah that's absolutely just powerful so um now i i kind of want to jump here because speaking of that time um you lived in a time that was reminiscence to i think what a lot of people are feeling today that they are stuck and they don't know where to go because of the economic landscape they don't know what to do because first of all it's changed so quickly right. and now a lot of things seem unattainable in comparison to what they were just six months ago 
And that's in the form of inflation, but then also, you know, for most people looking to invest to change their life, um, interest rates has created uh, uh, a point where capital seems unattainable to achieve. Um, but when uh, you were growing up, um, what were the conditions like then? And there was a number of times, both in my teen years and um, then when we first got married, that we had to deal with um, high inflation, high in the 70s, we had, you know, set, stand, sitting in line at gas stations to get gas. Fuel prices soared in the late 70s um, as inflation soared. And so we had a lot of different things with shortages and uh, those type of things and inflation. But particularly inflation hit high in the late 70s, early 80s. And when um, I got married to your mom in 1981, September, um, interest rates, mortgage interest rates were 18%, the highest in the history of the country. And so we were, you know, poor college students just getting married, going, looking at each other, going, well, I guess we'll never own a home. And so we assumed we'd never be able to get a home. And then once we finally did and interest rates started coming down, most of the time we spent any extra money we had to try and pay off our home because interest rates were still double digit. And when they got down to, uh, you know, we had a goal to always pay off our home before we were 40 and we did. And, you know, by the time we were 39, we paid off our home. And by that time, then interest rates are starting to drop. So the last few years with interest rates and three, 4%, you know, uh, there was a whole different world. However, what we saw during that time was housing costs soar and go crazy. So it's, it's a, a, you know, trade-off. When interest rates are 18%, housing costs are very low, but you got high mortgage. When uh, interest rates are 3 or 4%, then tend to have high demand for housing. So now that they're up to six, seven, maybe almost eight percent pretty soon here uh, by year end, then everybody's going to be going, well, gee, just a year ago it was three, four percent. And so when can I do that? Well, it, it's a balance between the price and the interest rates. But whether it's that or investing money or whatever it is, there's never uh, this perfect time in the world. So you have to do things and do them the best you can at the time and make the best out of it, make adjustments along the way as inflation changes, economy changes, interest rates change. It's going to be a, a cycle over the years. And so you just have to move forward and make good decisions with that. You know, you told me a story a long time ago when we were talking about, um, you know, just these different periods. And it really changed, I think, a way that I thought about a lot of this stuff. Um, when we talk about different cycles that move through, um, tell, uh, tell them about what people were doing in your town for investments when interest rates hit that high. When, when I was first married um, and interest rates were 18%, the local banks were offering CDs at 12% interest. And so some of the um, gentlemen I knew that were had a little money that were um, a little older and, and uh, had been in business and stuff for a while were pooling their money together to get $100,000 because if they had $100,000 collectively, they could put in a CD. The bank had paid 12% interest uh, if they could have $100,000. So none of them individually had an extra, that much money. So they were pulling their money so they could get 12% interest on a CD with the local bank. 
I mean, to, to think about that, a CD paying 12%, but they were getting, you know, these were some of these gentlemen are getting close to retirement age, and that was like incredible to get that kind of return on their money. So throw four of them in pool, put $100,000 in a CD and get 12% interest on it. And it shows, the reason why I like uh, that story is it shows why interest rates don't just affect the cost of money, they affect where money goes goes right because you're changing not just the cost but the yield yeah so the asset landscape changes right. so now all of a sudden i have options to get different types of returns and the options to get those returns are very different in how in their yield to risk right. so if y the stock market averages seven to nine percent a year over the long period of time and there's obviously a lot of risk because stocks go up and down wildly you don't know what's happening right? right all that kind of stuff it's all timing and everything else but then you can get a cd that pays 12 percent a year yeah. why put your money in the stock market exactly. you're going to beat the returns and it's way safer yeah yeah, it was, and that's why they were doing that in the early 80s because with that kind of return on a CD that's guaranteed and government guarantees it so your money's perfectly secure, that um, you, why wouldn't you do that as opposed to, you know, last year or two when, you know, maybe 1% yeah. on a CD. Nobody wanted their money in yeah, there. Yeah, nobody wanted to sit in a CD. And uh, what the stock market's done in the last, you know, 10 years has been uh, incredible compared to... Um, say the 90s when there was a 10-year stretch there uh, that you know it averaged one or two percent for the 10-year stretch so it, it's different times different cycles and the thing is based on your cycle in life whether you're like when we were just getting married is 18 percent you know you can't change the, what the market's doing with your cycle in life so you just have to make sure you make good decisions the best decisions possible and not any bad decisions that can set you back years. Yeah. And that's sometimes kind of difficult to do, but you just gotta um, be aware of it and look at things more on a long-term run. Yes. It's like housing, um, you know, people are concerned with the price and stuff, but anytime you look at housing, over time, if you're going into it for the long-term, because you plan on living there a long time, it's gonna be worth more than in the future. Now, given timing, if you'd have said that from, uh, you know, mid-90s to then, the Great Recession in 2007 and 8, well, obviously, there for a few years, you know, it's crashed and and just went um, crazy low. But look what it's done since then. Yeah. If you'd have bought around then or even bought before then, the value yeah. of your house has gone up multiple times since then. Yeah. It's, and, you know, I, I think kind of what you're talking about is very much the structure of our investing style and things. It's long-term. We try to fix in liabilities over the long term. I want cash flowing assets, yeah. right? Yes. Everything is long term because of that right there. We don't know what the cycles are. We can't predict them. Um, there is no point in trying because right. nobody can. So it's important that you look at investments. And for us, we want to be paid to own the investment. So it cash flows and pays us but we want it to grow in value right. and we want our downside limited, right? Risk limited, limited, but we want to be able to exercise the upside on that market. But we can't 
we can't the upside of those investments can't be predicated on timing that's why we do not build in our returns predicated on a sell because if you had a sell that was predicated and that required a four cap well now you're not getting a four cap so all of a sudden now you based your returns and investing strategy on the market or what the cycle would be and the cycle turned on you right and so it's like you you got you want to the idea is to invest over the long term and to survive because then if you do that when things turn on you then you can take advantage of them yeah and uh, you can focus on the yield but too many people i mean i mean there's not one fund that invests the way we do yeah doesn't even like we've never seen one um it's all predicated on those actions and those terms and the vast majority too i'd say of people they didn't go through the great recession they don't remember what it was like and uh, i mean the amount of businesses that i mean we were working with that went under yeah i mean that was just you know, it was very, it, you learn very quickly how fast things can change. Uh, and I was looking online today, people were talking, they're just like, I'm shocked with how fast it changed, right? right? And it always does that on the downside, but never the upside. Mm-hmm. So the upside is slow. Right. So the economy grows, but then you look at it in 10 years and it's like, holy cow, assets tripled, right? Or they quadrupled. But the downside usually doesn't take 10 years. It takes three or four months. Yeah. And then you got to climb back out of it. And I think people don't realize that change in assets and everything. And it has to do with what you just talked about. It has to do with money. Mm-hmm. So the money shifts and it moves. And it all moves together. And when it does, you depress certain segments of the economy and certain assets. And then when people realize the money shifting, everybody tries to get out of it all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it just has a collapsing effect. But the buildup is different, right? right? It's a slow thing. People are buying, they're improving, and that takes time. And a lot of people, uh, I think they vastly overestimate the upside and dramatically underestimate the down. No, I think that's true. And one of the chapters I talk about in my book is hold on during tough times. Yes. And that's one of the things that you're exactly right. You don't want to overreact, uh-huh. whether in in those tough times, you need to sometimes ride them out. Yep. And um, and then by doing that, there's also some opportunities that may be unique to be able to to get whether it's a house, whether it's storage, whether it's uh, business, whatever that you then like has happened with ours, like you say in the last ten years, just tripled, quadrupled in its value. We couldn't have said there 10 years ago and said oh yeah in 10 years from now these will be three four hundred percent in value no I, we would have never guessed that 1500 percent of something yeah 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 exactly so crazy. it's just crazy value increases and um but that's part of because we can't control all timing but we can also be careful to not make bad decisions during um tough times or good, good times, times. And when the housing boom was going on prior to the 2007-8 crash, I remember I, people were trying to get me to buy duplexes and different things like that. And I just would tell them they're crazy with those prices. And um, I told so many people no for different things like that. And then the crash happened. And I remember just kind of having to grin a little bit, thinking all these people that went out and 
did some of these crazy things because it was booming prior to that. So they assumed it would always, always be booming. And I just, the math didn't make sense when you worked out the numbers. And that's what we try and stick by with businesses. Okay, be conservative about it. And will the math make sense? Or on a house side, okay, is this a long-term hold? I'm going to live here for many years. Yeah. I'm not flipping houses. It's not an asset. Yeah, yeah. And so those kind of things. So, um, you know, as I look what's going on, both with things online for businesses and everything else, and you see businesses constantly gone, vanishing, oh. retail particularly area and those kind of things. But yet on the other side, the storage business has been absolutely growing incredibly. And there's a constant steady demand. And as we've seen over the last, you know, 20 years that we've been doing this, that demand is there. It's different, but it's there during downtimes. And it's there definitely during good times. But even in the different times, there's needs, whether you're upsizing, downsizing, uh, baby boomers, you know, or downsizing. Millennial group is growing, going to be the largest since baby boomers. And when you look at those kind of big picture things too, our country population is still growing. We're not like some countries that have been shrinking or slipping. And with those things, then there's going to be in future need and demand for staff. And as neighborhoods and communities have more restriction on where you can park your trailer or your motorhome or whatever it might be, the storage industry is an attractive business for that. As housing still is an important component, whether and also whether you look at the recent thing with COVID, people needed more space around their house because they're working from home more. So they cleared up and put stuff in storage. And businesses, the greater demand for that because the cost to build extra space with their business is just unaffordable compared to using storage. So there's a lot of components there and the storage business has been very, very good to us. And as a result, as I look back from that, and as I talk about in my book from that road to poverty through the different uh, career avenues we've chosen along the way that have weathered great recessions and high inflation and everything else. And now we're continuing to do that with storage. Well, it's the long-term yeah. stuff. It's like the whole reason with storage was it was a long-term thing. It's not, these aren't, you know, digital currencies. These aren't, you know what I mean? That people think that they understand, but it, it like a lot of people m very miscalculate that just because they like something or use it, that the market in general accepts it or thinks that way right. where the market does not care. Right. And it, so like for us saying we sticking with something that is core fundamental, but then most importantly too, putting a structure on the investment that can last. So a lot of people buy businesses or assets that are core long-term, but then they put a structure on it that is predicated on the short-term. Right. And then they fail. And so when I ever look at either an asset or someone that went bankrupt, right, and people are like, oh, yeah, it failed, I look at it and I say, okay, hold on. Did the asset fail or did the investor fail? So just because you had to refinance into 8% and you couldn't pay that at the price that you paid for the asset didn't mean the asset wasn't cash flowing. It right. didn't mean the asset wasn't a good asset. It means you put a structure on it that was not sustainable. Right. And so I think that's something that people need to remember, even when you're looking at like the stock market, 
So when I look at like stocks, because they're all getting hammered and going straight down, I look at it and say, okay, is this a reflection of the extrinsic value of the market deciding what assets pricing is as they trade it, or the intrinsic value of the cash flow, the profit, the demand, and the long-term viability of the asset? And so often markets dramatically overreact on the extrinsic value and that creates the opportunity because the intrinsic value is higher than the extrinsic value. And that's what uh, you want. That's what we look right. for. And it's like, if you can buy those long-term things and focus on the intrinsic value, the market will take care of it in the long run. Right. But in the short run, it, it could kill you if you don't do it right. So you, as long as you're guarding that and protecting it, you hold on, hold on through the tough times, right? right? But make sure you do the deal so you can hold on in the tough times yeah. and it doesn't take you down. And that's really important. Yeah, it really is. And uh, the other thing too, from a business standpoint is doing what's best and right for the customer too along the way. And that's where I think we've uh, been able to excel and uh, really enhance the businesses. Because as we look back 10 years ago when we you know, bought one storage facility from a developer that had been had gone bankrupt, basically. He hadn't paid the bank in over a year. They were, um, you know, uh, trying to repossess the, the property and everything. And uh, we ended up getting that. And at the time, it was this incredible deal. You know, we spent $2.1 on it. We spent a million two with expansion to make it a very large facility because it had additional room over the next few years. And and now, you know, so we nowadays this thing's worth 15 plus million dollars. And so I look at those things that others that made some big mistakes along the way, and that created opportunities for us to be able to take those kind of situations, get great deals, and then turn them into incredible values over the next number of years. I love it. So anybody that's trying to get out of their situation they're looking for opportunities but they just feel like they can't they feel like they're stuck what is what would you tell them what is your suggestion to the people they say i get you're talking about all these things with investments and do it which is awesome because that's a lot of value that they can learn because when you were growing up and even when I was growing up, even when we started businesses, like I tell, tell people all the time, when we got into storage, there was no storage podcast. There was no books. There was no nothing. Right. We had to figure it out. So like the fact alone that somebody can sit and listen to this and your advice for free is exceptional, especially because you can do that and talk to thousands of people where before they would either have to you know, pay or try to get you to come and spend an hour with them or attend. It's not, that's not viable. Right. So this is already a big heads up that people have. But for all those people that are like, I would love to do and to take advantage of the things that you guys are talking about and do, but I, I'm stuck and I don't know how to get out of my personal situation. It's not an economic situation, right? right? It's not a that it's, it's my situation. Uh, what would you tell those people? Well, there's a lot of good information out there, everything from our books to to uh, this type of podcast and stuff. But at the end of the day, they got to make good decisions. You got to make, um, and sometimes tough decisions. You know, I look back that uh, when I was in college with no money and struggling, trying to figure out 
where it's going to go and what it's going to do and how I just feed myself. And then got married and had a you know, wife, and we're just getting along. We were happy, but, you know, didn't have any money or anything, just yeah. barely getting by trying to figure out how to pay rent and uh, that type of stuff. And you just make good decisions along the way, work hard at it, and if you'll do those kind of things, look for opportunities, look for mentors, look for this type of um, information out there that can help you figure out the way to go that I didn't have, wasn't there, didn't exist, like you said. And um, that will allow a person to take the right steps. And it sometimes it doesn't happen quick. It's a journey and it's a process. And, um, you know, that's why, you know, in high school I was, you know, working at a shoe store, working at a grocery store for a while. And uh, when I went to college, I was, you know, out selling insulation for housing to, to get by. And then I got an insurance business. And that started my career that I spent, uh, you know, my whole career in employee benefits and health insurance. And then eventually, 20 years ago, decided I needed real assets. And that's when we got into the storage business and have taken it to the level we have now. And each of those things along the way and the journey, um, you know, I married very, very much over my head, uh, those type of things, and focused on our family, focused on the important things in life. And if you do those, but at the same time, worked very hard to support my family and career and try and improve my career along the way. And those are the kind of things I think you do. Um, you know, when I look at my family and say, and that's the things I always looked at, I got to avoid drugs and alcohol and bad decisions and relationships and things like that, that, that they didn't avoid that set them back. And, um, you know, two of my, my two brothers spent time in prison and, and my oldest brother died, you know, fairly young and those kind of things. So it was, um, a difficult thing. They took the wrong road. I took a different route to try and escape that world. And that's the important thing to do, make good decisions along the way. And I think, you know, people vastly, I, I, in fact, I don't even think it's underestimated. I think honestly at this point, people either don't know or don't, don't care that your decisions today, particularly good decisions, you basically don't see any impact in the short term. But in the long term, it's the only thing you see. And uh, the problem with that is by the time that you see it, right, that it, it, it's too late. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at like even the economic part and everything going when even when we were growing storage, everything, oh, didn't think that was going to be the thing we did. Yeah. We didn't think that was exactly. it. And it was like, we're just making sound financial decisions, not getting into bad debt, not doing that kind of stuff that eventually led to opportunities that we could leverage and explode. And that's the same stuff we do today. Yeah. It's why we don't have short-term interest rates that we're focusing on now. That's why we're not worried about losing deals or, oh man, we have to sell this deal to make any money, but how are we going to sell it? Right? Well, People look at it and say, oh, that's smart now. But three years ago when we were making the decisions on the assets that we bought, you could sell all day at a four cap and there was no end to that in sight. So it's like, okay, yeah, but that was a decision that's been made over long, long periods of time. 
you don't reap the economic rewards though. And that's both personally. So your personal decisions allow you to be able to capitalize on opportunities or not. Like not going into consumer debt, not doing those things. Well, it can take years or decades until you really, really reap the rewards for it. Um, and I think that's hard for a lot of people. The good decisions today, you may see no result in the short term, but that doesn't mean there's not one, and it doesn't mean that that there won't be an effect if you don't make it. And I think that you know that is you know your uh, example and legacy. It is a life of good decisions bearing fruits later on, um, even from small, simple decisions when you were younger, uh, just changing your friends, mm -hmm. changing who you hung out with and who you wanted to socialize with. I mean, those little decisions probably had the biggest impact overall, but yet it's hard to see the correlation, but it doesn't mean that it's not there. Well, that's really true, AJ. And as I see different situations with people, for example, the other uh, evening I was having a chat with somebody uh, that's 26 years old, single, and um, talking to him about financial matters. And I said, so they've had a job, that a good solid job for um, the last year they've been at. And I says, how much do you make a month? And this person said, I, I don't know, I have no idea. And I go, kind of looked at him. And um, as we got talking about things, they discussed how they struggle with financially because they overspend personally. They get carried away with it. So they weren't in a mode of even saving a little bit of money or just living within their means and those type of things. So they constantly have struggles with even being able to pay their rent, their rent and all those kind of things. I see those type of things with some young people. Then others in the last few years, for example, people that were in house flipping, and I saw this twice now, this time uh, with the economy changing recently and then in the 2007-8 yep. area. House flippers, when the house price is going up, stuff they do great. great. But boy, when it comes to a quick end, like it did in 7-8 and, um, and recently with interest rates spiking, wow, all of a wow. sudden, and it can you know cause them to go broke if they have a bunch under their ownership or money into it and then all of a sudden you can't flip them, yeah. the price goes down. There's no market. And the same thing happened in 2008 with some very successful developers I saw. Housing was overbuilt and they kept building more in anticipation of always being the demand there. Where this cycle around where we've had high demand for housing the last few years and with low interest rates, the builders didn't overbuild. They learned from then, which the other side of that caused housing costs to go up probably more than normal. But now with it slowing dramatically, those folks can probably survive and not go broke or bankrupt because they had way overbuilt and all of a sudden you can't sell them. So whether it's personal decisions about finance and doing things, whether it's the kind of career choice you make, if you want a short-term kind of career with flipping houses or something, if you're timing it right, you may do well, but also you can go or a, a developer long-term. And that's what I've tried to do along the way and be able to weather those storms with the type of businesses that weathered in difficult times and we've gone through those and as a result you come out better when it's over and when it's 
one upside if you didn't make big, bad decisions. I love it. And uh, um, with that, everybody, you can go, the, the book uh, uh, link is in the show notes. So you can go find it. You can look up um, on Amazon. You can either look up just Ron Osborne or The Right Kind of Rich or both. It'll pop right up, but just go down to the show notes. You can get it now. Um, and also check out the show notes for the other link to the other podcasts that uh, my dad's on so you can hear those too. Um, as always, thanks, Dad. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great, Jane.